Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we are about to venture into, I think, a couple of episodes on the topic of incense. And I was looking around for some fun quotes related to incense, and we're going to get to some fun quotes and some mystical quotes related to incense, but I was really uh, enraptured by a particular quote from Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq himself, uh, that I read without any initial context. The, The quote is, incense, books, just weird. Uh, which which raises so many questions, uh, especially since I, I really don't know a whole lot about about sports and the the life of Shaq and so forth. I I, I played Shaq Fu, the, uh, the the old video game back in the day, the first one. Uh, mm. But outside of just Shaq's general um, ever present media power and his appearance uh, all all throughout media, I don't know much about him. Uh, so I had to research this one a little bit, and I'm not 100 percent certain, but I think this is a quote from Shaq talking about his former coach, Phil Jackson. I believe the situation is that during the early 2000s, Jackson would have the Lakers meditate before their games. And I think he also assigned various texts uh, for his players to read. So maybe our basketball fan listeners out there can chime in on this topic. Okie dokie. I have absolutely nothing to offer here. I know I I have almost (laughs) zero Shaq knowledge. So we've discussed the human mastery of fire multiple times on the podcast, how it enabled us to externalize our digestion and master cooking, how it enabled us to illuminate the dark and somewhat free ourselves from the shackles of night, uh, how it enabled us to uh, master the use of minerals and ultimately venture into the worlds of alchemy and chemistry. Now, on the subject of smoke itself, we have discussed the use of smoke in long-distance communication. Uh, But the use of incense, the burning of specific biotic materials to produce pleasing and or masking fragrances, as well as the visual splendor of smoke, this is an area I don't think we've really considered before. So what, what, what got you going on incense, man? I think, interestingly enough, I was on the front porch. Uh, it, it had gotten cool enough to work outside. I had my laptop out there, but mm-hmm. I had uh, some uh, anti-mosquito 
uh, incense burning, not not the mm. the spiral kind that we'll reference in a bit, but one of these uh, more modern uh, situations where you have a little gas pod that's put in the bottom of the machine, and then you have a little uh, tab that has uh, certain um, uh, chemicals uh, on it that you slide in, and then that burns, and it creates uh, some nice, pleasant-looking whiffs of, of gray smoke that also keep the mosquitoes at bay at least a little bit. So... One thing I got to start with in addressing incense uh, is that I mistakenly used to think that incense was one unique substance, like it was the product of one plant or something. Mm. Uh, but apparently that's not true. And it's also not a consistent recipe for a combination of products that, that applies to all incense around the world. Instead, I think we should say incense is a class of substances, right? It's like any organic material or combination of organic materials that you burn in order to release a fragrant smoke. So what goes in your incense in one culture might be totally different than what goes in in another. And, and even within a culture, you might use different substances. That's right. Yeah. Various traditions will have different blends, different materials. And yeah, sometimes you're talking about uh, some sort of dried substances. Other times it's formed into an incense stick. Certainly we have cones. Uh, there are also oils. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a wide spectrum of, uh, of substances. Though I would say generally we're ta- not talking about things that are intended to be directly inhaled. Uh, generally we're talking more about an, an ambiance in, in a room, uh, though you, of course, are going to end up inhaling some of that, but it, it is contributing to the atmosphere. It is not uh, something that one is necessarily consuming. Right. So the English word incense traces back through the French to the late Latin word incensum, just meaning that which is burned. It's a thing that you burn. And this is related to the Latin verb incendere, which means to set something on fire, to light on fire. So it's something that you burn to produce an aromatic smoke, especially a sweet smoke, according to a lot of early sources. So while incense is a class of substances, uh, there are some specific plant products that are especially significant in the history of the incense trade. And uh, a couple that really stand out to me because of, you know, all my uh, received Bible stories as a child, uh, I think will be familiar to many other listeners. This would be the references to incense in the story of the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So in this story, it says that, uh, that when Jesus was born, uh, there were wise men. This is a translation of the the Latin magi or the Greek magoi, uh, wise men bringing three gifts to honor the birth of Jesus, they they show up. And these gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, Now, first of all, I want to do one of my little uh, patented uh, uh, Joe McCormick Bible fact drops. Did you know that the Bible does not actually say there were three wise men? The the story Mm -hmm. of the wise men bringing gifts... uh, at the birth of Jesus appears only in the gospel of Matthew. And here's what it says. So this is from the NRSV quote, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born the King of the Jews? For we observed his star in the East and have come to pay him homage. So that's it. It's just Magi, just a plural noun. Now, there has been an ocean of ink spilled over how best to interpret the word magi. Uh, who did the author have in mind when the story was written? The, the theory that seems most convincing to me is that this is probably a reference to uh, Parthian or Persian Zoroastrian priests who were thought to be very adept at reading portents in the stars, which is why the word magi is sometimes translated as astrologers. Uh, but anyway, that's all it says. It says magi came or magoi came. Uh, not how many of them there were, but the traditional interpretation that there were three of them is probably derived from the fact that it does say they brought three gifts, and those gifts, again, are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we know what gold is, but what are those other two things? Well, actually, frankincense and myrrh are both types of incense. They are resins or uh, chunks of hardened gum or sap from two different types of related trees in the Berseraceae family. Uh, in the, the Berseraceae family, uh, these are arid or semi-arid tree-like plants that uh, I think are typically associated with growing uh, in the Arabian Peninsula and on the, on the Horn of Africa. 
And so these two incense resins, along with gold, are probably used in the story from the Gospel of Matthew because they are supposed to show that the the Magoi or the Magi recognize Jesus as a king, as a king foretold in the stars, because frankincense and myrrh, like gold, are expensive luxury items. They are, they're, they're associated with, uh, with power and with religious uh, significance. They were used in religious rituals all throughout the ancient Mediterranean, and also to perfume the rich, such as, you know, in a burial ritual for a king. Now, I've seen enough imagery, Christian imagery of the three kings uh, to, you know, to, to know that, you know, generally they're depicted as holding some sort of special box that contains the, the frankincense and the myrrh. And of course, I've, I've seen images of frankincense itself, but I still have to say, like, when I think of the three kings bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I hear frankincense and I still imagine Frankenstein's monster. Um, yes. He's at least back there lurking in the back of my mind, even as I'm putting together this manger scene in my head. Right there with you. I, I always made that connection when I was a kid. It's like you got Frankenstein, Frankenberry cereal, and Frankincense, <laughs> the gift to Jesus. And I don't know what that is because they never explained when I was a kid. I think one time actually somebody did explain that uh, that myrrh was used for uh, – it was used in its like ess- uh, essence form or oil form to anoint burials of the dead. And I was like, well, that's a morbid gift to give a baby. It's like, here's something that we'll put on you when you die. Yeah. But again, I think it's supposed to be something that is expensive and royal and uh, and holy and shows that, you know, they recognize that the, the stars have foretold this is going to be a king. Yeah, and I think these are all things to keep in mind as we start, as, as we eventually discuss how how incense factors into different cultures and different belief systems, like what it means to burn this uh, sacred substance that creates a special uh, pleasing odor. I actually found a a fascinating uh, article about that that I think we're going to get into more in part two of this series. But before we move on from frankincense and myrrh, I did want to add a few more facts uh, descriptive about their uh, what they're like and how they were used in the ancient world. And uh, this is coming from uh, another interesting article I was reading. This was in Eon Magazine by a University College London anthropologist named Timothy Carroll. And the article was called Frankincense and Myrrh, Both Holy and Heretical. And so there is a background section where uh, where Carol here is describing what these these smells are like. Uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, we can't make you smell it through the internet here. So uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we can't give samples. But if you've never smelled them before, or differentiated them, frankincense is uh, known to have a kind of woody or what he calls a warm spiced smell. So I'm imagining that is in some way roughly similar to the the warm spices like, I don't know, cloves, allspice, cinnamon, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Whereas uh, Carol says that myrrh is uh, typically said to smell like rose or maybe like basil, but also is sometimes said to have a kind of bitter aroma. And you, if you think about the kind of bitter back note to the smell of a rose, that, that makes sense to me. Okay. An interesting thing about the uh, origins of the word frankincense, uh, so you associate it with Frankenstein, but actually what what frankincense means is uh, the prefix frank there is just a, a word that archaically means like high quality or pure. So frankincense mm-hmm. basically means like pure incense or really good incense. Another distinction is that I said both of these were forms of incense, and they are, but uh, frankincense, I think, is almost always used as a as a type of burned incense, so you would burn pellets of it to make a smoke, whereas myrrh has a lot of different preparations. Sometimes it is burned as incense. Other times, people will make like a, an oil infusion out of it and, and use that to like anoint people to you know place upon their heads for a religious purpose or at a burial or something like that. Uh, but uh, Carol talks about how these substances were not just for r- the religious purposes that we're going to get into in more detail. They were also believed to have like practical benefits. Uh, he points out that, as we've talked about on the show before, a lot of uh, in, in the ancient world, there was a lot of association between disease and bad smells. So aromatic substances were used throughout the ancient Mediterranean to cleanse bad air that was thought to somehow be associated with disease and also to drive away vermin like rats. Okay, so so functionally, at the very least, a masking odor, 
uh, but within the like the, the, the crude belief systems of of the day regarding uh, infection and disease, uh, they're cleansing. They're actually per- helping to, pr- to protect you from illness. And uh, well, I'm not sure what, how we're to rule the uh, uh, prevention of rats creeping around. I mean, I think you could say that to various extents, aromatic smokes are effective at driving away, especially insects. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but I don't know about the rats. I'd I'd need to see more. More data is required on that. <laughs> but there were all these uh, alleged medical uses of these fragrant substances, like frankincense and myrrh. Carol points to the writings of an ancient Greek physician named Pedanius uh, Dioscorides, who lived uh, from 40 to 90 CE. And uh, speaking about myrrh specifically, Dioscorides says, quote, rubbed on with the flesh of a snail, it mm. cures broken ears and exposed bones, as well as pus in the ears and their inflammation with meconium, castorium, and glaucium. It is rubbed on varicose veins with cassia and honey. Very good, very good. Some key substances in there, some of which will come back up again. And he mentioned some other uses too. It was thought to have uh, to be able to help regulate sleep, blood flow, menstruation, all kinds of things. So this is the myrrh is kind of shaping up like a cure all. Like it has some kind of religious significance. It will it will mask the odors of death. It will make you seem like a king, and it will also allegedly like cure all these various diseases or regulate the processes of the body. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, 
personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Uh, but to come back to the idea of incense more generally, again, we're talking about a uh, a class of substances that you would burn in order to produce an aromatic smoke. That's right. And, and certainly fragrant woods, herbs, oils, other such substances, they can be added to many different heat sources, many different flames, uh, including flames that are primarily used for illumination or cooking. Um, like on, on the, the subject of cooking, I, uh, I, I don't really barbecue much anymore. When I do cook something, I use a gas grill. But I remember growing up, if, when we would have, we'd use a charcoal grill and occasionally cooking certain co- cuts of meat, it was desired to get like some hickory branches to add uh, to the, the coals underneath. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are various things like that one, of course, can do within, say, a culinary tradition. Yeah. Uh, and smoking meat has multiple effects. I mean, on one hand, it's just pleasurable. People like the taste of, of smoke, but also it has preservative effects. Mm, yes. But there's also a rich global tradition of creating specialized sensors or other artifacts designed and built exclusively for burning incense of some sort. Now, a lot of these devices are tied into practices that involve the burning of incense for pleasure and or religious purposes. And we'll get into many of those in a bit. But I, I wanted to touch a little bit on the idea of, uh, of, of practical incense burning, functional incense burning, kind of like we were talking about earlier, to, to drive the rats away in the bad air. Um, <laughs> and coming back to my earlier example of, of, of mosquito repellent, because really the first place my mind went when I started thinking about this, in, in part because I was keeping mosquitoes away with, with special smoke at the time, is the humble mosquito coil. Uh, everyone, I think, has probably seen this. It's usually green. It's a coil. It's uh, it's essentially an incense. You start burning the the outer edge of the coil, and it slowly burns and spirals in towards the center. Generally, this is, the the coil itself contains pyrethrum, uh, which is a, a naturally occurring insecticide. Uh, and there may be some other ingredients in there. And you're generally talking about six inches length coiled up in one of these, and it'll take up to about 12 hours to burn through. I don't have a lot of direct experience with these, but I was just looking up some general stats about them. It's apparently a Japanese invention of the 1800s uh, that, that, of course, really takes off once uh, you have mass production capabilities in place for it. It's a design that effectively allows you to have a super long incense stick that will burn for a long time, but also doesn't take up a lot of space. Because imagine if you had, if, if, if instead of it being in a spiral, it was just a, like just a long incense stick. It could kind of be a pain to, to lay out somewhere. If it, if it covered the entire length of the picnic table, for example, that wouldn't be <laughs> as, as cool of an experience. Yeah. Now, I, again, I don't know exactly how dependable the idea of up to 12 hours is. I don't know what affects that rate of consumption. Uh, but it does bring to mind this really inter- – this is where I really got interested in the, the, the topic of incense – is that, okay, you can look at the basics here. If it takes X amount of time to burn through an incense stick or an incense spiral, then perhaps that rate of change can be used to measure time. 
And, uh, and yeah, this is a whole area of combustion-based timekeeping. And th- there are a number of things you can loop under this heading. There's, of course, the candle clock, which makes use of the gradual rate of change in a burning candle. We see these in the tradition, in traditions of the East, West, and Middle East, with accounts in Chinese writing going back, I believe, as far as the 6th century CE. And then there are also uh, oil lamp clocks. Now, I think these only go back a couple of centuries, in part, I'm guessing, because you need a dependable way of making the decrease in oil um, visual. You know? So that's going to be harder with some of the oil lamp constructions of old. And so mm-hmm. some of the examples that were coming up for me when I was uh, researching this are like 18th century designs. And they're really beautiful looking, but of course they involve a lot of elegant metal and glass. Mm-hmm. But the incense clock, uh, yeah, this takes us into Chinese traditions. And before I get to the invention itself, I wanted to share some, some, some neat insight about the role of incense in Chinese culture, uh, as I think it'll all be worth keeping in mind as we take the additional step in considering incense as a timekeeping measure. And also, it generally, I think, flows with some of these uh, larger and even global ideas about incense. I was reading Stuart Sargent's 2001 article from the Journal of the American Oriental Society titled Huang Ting Jin's Incense of Awareness. And while it largely deals with specific lines from the poetry of this Song Dynasty calligrapher, painter, and poet who lived uh, 1045 through 1105, it also covers the role of incense in Chinese culture in general at this time. And uh, I'm not going to skip over the translated poetry either, because as the paper points out, he's very much leaning uh, into the analysis of how the the ritual use of incense affects one's uh, state of mind. Mm-hmm. So here, here's here's the first uh, bit of poetry from Huang Tingjin: A sense of peril, like wandering ten thousand fathoms high, impatient desires engender the five weapons within. I lean on the armrest with a single strand of incense. The numinous estrade, uh, this is a, a spiritual uh, a platform or deus, uh, a Taoist terminology for the mind. Um, the, the, the numinous estrade is clear, empty, and bright. Okay, so it sounds like he's describing an association between burning a strand of incense and having a kind of uh, clear or elevated state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Overcoming the the fears and anxieties within by being able to clear your mind, focusing on this uh, on this smoke. And in this, it's interesting because this this seems to be focusing as much or more on the visual of the smoke, which I think is is easy to overlook. But I mean, not if you guess if you're really into incense. But like watching the smoke from incense rise and curl through a room, uh, mm. I mean, it's 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 instantly captivating. Well, yeah, a lot of the writings about incense really emphasize the smell, and that does seem to be, you know, the primary sense that's engaged by it. But when you watch the smoke, I think that also brings in a lot of the ideas of, uh, I don't know, the kind of uh, ideas about religion or consciousness that are associated with it. It has to do with watching the smoke rise up into the sky and dissipate, which on Mm -hmm. one hand, I think is uh, a reason why the burning of incense or the burning of things in general was often assumed to be a way of communicating with the gods. You know, if the gods mm-hmm. live up above in the skies, I mean, not every belief about gods is like that, but many people believe the gods are up in the skies and the smoke rises up to them. So it's a way of reaching them with something you do. Uh, but then the other thing is like the, it's, it's an act that, uh, that you can kind of like watch have a consequence that then eventually disappears. Like the way that the thing burns and then the smoke dissipates in front of your eyes is, uh, it, I don't know, it's some kind of significant transformation or symbol of ephemerality. Yeah, I've, I saw the line drawn in, in uh, different sources between uh, the, the original archaic burning of sacrifices, burnt offerings, and mm. the use, even the modern use of incense. So as, mm. whereas one in ancient times may have burnt a uh, you know the, the the carcass of a bull or other sacrificial animal. Uh, the the uh, this would be a version of that. Instead of of burning the animal, burning the remains of the animal, burning this sacred uh, sweet smelling substance. Oh, and that's not even a, a connection that you have to like hypothesize. Like thinking mm-hmm. back on it, the connection was made by 
by some ancient religions uh, themselves. Like, for example, if you look at the Hebrew Bible, there's like uh, the the first chapter of the book of Leviticus. Uh, the Lord is giving instructions to Moses on how to perform sacrifices of livestock. And uh, this involves, you know, they'll say you bring in the bull and you do this and you do that. And then a few verses later at the beginning of chapter two, it says, if somebody's making a grain offering instead of an offering of livestock, you need to burn incense with the grain. Hmm. I'm going to come back to that in part two when we discuss the idea that uh, God or the gods do enjoy smells. All right. Well, let's let's go back into the poetry of Wang Jingzhen here. Uh, here's another one that's uh, that's really good. Midday meal, birds peer at the dais, sitting in peace. The sun passes the steps. Vulgar atmosphere has no way to come near. The smoke drifts up and forms a massed defense. Now, the vulgar atmosphere is, is not just like the stink here. This is <laughs> apparently, according to the, the author, uh, this is referring to like the vulgar world itself um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, in the vulgar atmosphere of this world. Again, setting aside one space, one sacred space uh, from the rest of reality. Now, here's another one. This one comes back to uh, snails uh, as well as honey. Stone honey transforms snails' armor. In quince, juice is boiled aloes wood. From the Poshan, censer, a lone smoke rises. Facing this scene, I shiver with awe. Okay, that may sound a little cryptic. So I, mm-hmm. uh, in the paper, Sargent explains this, that the first line here, uh, talking about stone honey transforming the snail's armor, uh, it sounds cryptic, but this is a reference to the manufacture of a particular incense of the day that included the operculum of a snail's shell. This is like the, um, like the lid uh, uh, that mm-hmm. I think is sometimes described as looking like a, a, like a shriveled black ear, human ear. Um, it's treated with wine or honey before it's used in this process. And then the poshan, he explains, is a vessel for burning incense that was introduced in the Han Dynasty that has a top shaped like uh, the sacred mountain of Mount Po rising out of the sea. And these, these are quite beautiful. Definitely look these up. Uh, they're sometimes referred to in English as hill censers. And uh, yeah, they're just absolutely beautiful because the, the mountains are often depicted, uh, like the peaks of the mountains are, are kind of flame-like, kind of water-like. It has this very, you know, it, uh, mystical appearance to it. It's because this is not a, just a, this is not a mundane mountain. This is a celestial mountain. This is the place where the gods live. And, and also there's kind of like an egg-like quality to it, especially towards the bottom. Uh, it's, uh, it's, they're, they're quite beautiful. All right, here's another uh, bit of poetry. Twisting and turning, the business of the incense is over. Thick and heavy, it sticks to the books and paintings. Who can come into my room? Take off your worldly shackles. Now, this one I particularly love because it's basically the Shack quote from uh, the beginning of the episode. Incense, books, just weird. It, it, it brings to mind like detachment in the learned man's study. Like this is where my books are, my paintings, and the smell of incense. Like this is my space. So this is just weird in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I'm, I'm uh, interpreting or applying the Shack quote. Like, okay. Uh, and I guess I'm thinking back to some of the, the various uh, Chinese poets and writers that we've discussed in the past who are known even during the day for their weirdness, like their elongated fingernails and, uh, and so forth, their fascination with, uh, with the strange and the bizarre. Like, you know, those are the, those are the souls I really uh, connect with. So I'm like, yeah, incense, books, and weirdness. For instance, Li Hu uh, comes to mind, uh, a Tang poet who lived uh, 790 through 816. Uh, we've, we've covered uh, uh, some of his writings on the show before. He had this wonderful line that goes, Owls that have lived a hundred years turned to forest demons laugh wildly as an emerald fire leaps from their nests. This is a stupid comparison. I don't know why that always makes me think of like strawberry alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even make the connection. Incense and peppermints. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, now the, the next bit of poetry that Sargent uh, brings up that, uh, that I thought was worth mentioning here uh, goes as follows. Pheasant tail fans cover the sound of whips. A golden censer brushes against the great purity. Your ranks are near. You smell the incense sooner. And by the time you returned, you had mastered it. Okay, so this quote is referring to smelling the special incense um, of the emperor in the imperial capital, um, mm. which, uh, of course, the imperial capital, this also has celestial associations because, of course, the, the emperor himself has a, has a divine connection uh, in these uh, traditions. And the whips that are mentioned here, that's the, those are the whips clearing the way for the emperor's procession. Uh, so it, I, I love the, how this, it paints a nice picture, or, well, maybe not a nice picture. It, it, it paints a distinct picture of, uh, yeah, here's the sound of whips uh, giving way to the pheasant tail fans, and then here's the, the burning of this very special incense. 
And, uh, and, and then there's this idea that, yeah, you can smell it, and then you can potentially uh, master it. And, uh, and this is something that Sargent uh, brings to mind here as well. Quote, Huang Tingjin, close enough to the imperial entourage or the high officials to get a whiff of the court incense, is expert enough to be able to go home and duplicate it on the basis of what his nose has analyzed. Oh, he's like the guy in that book, Perfume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there, there are other like, bits of poetry from this guy where he talks about like, the craving of incense. Like, uh, this is a guy who liked his incense. But, uh, but, but all these various examples, um, Sargent breaks down the uses of, of incense that are highlighted in his poetry, and he, he singles out 10 of them. Some of them are kind of close related, but I'm going to roll through them real quick. Number one, to aid in meditation, blocking external disruptions. Two, a barrier against the vulgar world in an outdoor scene. Uh, number three, the, uh, the composite of its ingredients and an awe-inspiring phenomenon. Four, a baffler against the vulgar world in an indoor scene. Again, that kind of connects to two. Five, a token of an interpersonal relationship, interesting for the straddled social barrier. Number six, the product of another person's skill. Uh, number seven, an agent to defeat the power of sense objects in uh, another person's life. Eight, an object in a scene that has a mood but no apparent message. Nine, a sign of political status as well as the other person's technical skill. Again, being able to duplicate that special imperial incense that you've uh, caught a whiff of. And then also as an attribute of en- enlightenment. Uh, so uh, I feel like these are all interesting to, to keep in mind. As we move move forward with this uh, with this upcoming example from Chinese culture, but also I think some of these can be applied, if not all of these, can be applied to varying degrees with other cultural traditions of incense as well. I mean, it seems like a number of these are oriented around uh, creating a kind of separation or spirit of difference, whether that is uh, sort of putting yourself in a in a mind space of peace and and disconnection from the profane world. Or in the idea of even just like straight up class, like you you are a rich and powerful ruler, thus you are surrounded by incense, and that sort of marks you as special and different. Yeah, yeah, you create a different atmosphere around you, and of course, you know, a lot of this also applies to just everyday uses of incense today. Like some people, when they're writing, they like to burn a little incense. Certainly if someone is exercising or, or practicing yoga or meditation, they may burn some incense as well. And, uh, you know, that can also have practical uh, uh, purposes as well, especially like in an exercise class. Uh, exercise, especially group exercise, can, uh, can um, uh, have a certain effect on, um, on odors in the room, and you can mask those odors with incense. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a d- double pur- dual purpose there. Oh, it's the it's the environmental equivalent of don't have time for a shower, better spray the armpits. Uh, I don't know. That sounds more like the vulgar world to me, but I <laughs> guess it depends on the incense. Um, I'm not advocating that, by the way. I mean, though it, it does bring up an interesting point, something maybe we'll have to explore in, a, in another episode. But yeah, when you get into the whole world of incenses and perfumes, and yeah, I mean, perfumes, we could do a whole episode on that. There's a rich global history of perfume use. Like there, there are, of course, so many things to take into account, personal tastes, even today, but you get into historical tastes as well. Like what constituted a good masking body uh, perfume in various cultures in distinct points in time, you know, based on available materials. Yeah, totally. Now, getting back into the into questions of, okay, different sensors. I already mentioned the, the, the Mount uh, Poe sensor. There's another type of sensor that this particular paper mentions, and I had to look up examples of it. A golden duck was apparently a popular uh, sensor uh, for incense during this time, and you can still see examples of this today. It is exactly what it sounds like. A, uh, a golden or golden-looking duck uh, where you, you can take the top off of the duck, uh, put the incense in there, get the incense burning, put the top half of the duck back on, and smoke will rise out of the duck's mouth. Yeah, that's interesting. It almost looks like, uh, I don't know, it symbolizes that the duck is making a sound or something. Yeah. But I think the most, for me anyway, the most amazing example of, of a sensor for incense uh, is, is that of the incense clock, uh, as it's often referred to in English. And I was reading a, a very good uh, summary and article about these in JSTOR Daily by Amelia Soth titled Keeping Time with Incense Clocks, citing a few different uh, scholars' work, but uh, I think one in particular is Andrew B. Liu, 
uh, and it go uh, the, the article goes into detail about these these splendid artifacts that date back at least to the sixth century, uh, when a poet by the name of of Yu Jian Wu wrote, quote, "By burning incense, we know the o'clock of the night. With graduated candle, we confirm the tally of the watch." Hmm. That, that's an English translation, of course, but I like the it's kind of a novel translation. I, I, I like by you talking about knowing the o'clock of the night. Uh huh. But again, referencing the idea that you could create a, a, a contraption for burning incense in such a way that it had a pretty dependable rate of consumption, and by that you could tell time. Right, right. So that second line mentions a candle, and this is, I think, a reference to candle as a combustion-based timekeeping uh, device. But then uh, by burning incense, this is where yeah, it gets really interesting because this is not it's not it's, it's not a case of just having okay a super long incense stick that'll take all night to burn, or even a night-long spiral of incense. These incense clocks, and you'll definitely have to look up an image of these, these were ornate metal boxes with lids and compartments that contained specialized parts for their use, such as a, uh, the, the, the author here describes a little shovel, a little damper, and also various stencils for the laying out of an incense labyrinth within the box. Ah, so you're making the uh, the smoldering and uh, snake around in a maze. That's right. Yeah, winding path of incense. And you have the different stencils, uh, not just because you want different shapes, but because, of course, the length of the night changes with the seasons. And so different seasons will require a different stencil because the idea here is, again, the incense clock burns all night. Uh, it burns uh, throughout uh, the span of darkness and, and you know, marks the passage of time via the scent of incense. You know, this actually reminds me of a technique I have used in a uh, when trying to cook something uh, for a long time over low heat in a charcoal grill before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the method is essentially the snake. You create a kind of winding snake of charcoal and then you, you put a lit coal on one end. And so the idea is that it's not all going to like catch on fire too fast and make the grill too hot. Instead, it will slowly burn into the next coal along the way and keep a low temperature as it creeps around the snake. Oh, wow. I've, I don't think I've heard of that technique before. What what sorts of things would you be cooking over a fire like that? Oh, like, you know, barbecue, basically. If you're, okay. you're trying to do something, you know, for a long time without it getting too hot. Interesting. Okay. So these incense uh, um, clocks, as, as they're sometimes referred, these would these would again burn all night, and they were noted. They were of noted use in uh, Beijing's tall drum tower during the Qing Dynasty, sixteen forty four through nineteen eleven. Uh, Soth cites another um, author, a historian of scientific instruments by the name of Silvio Bedini, who indicates that one could lay out a path uh, of of not just one type of incense in one of these clocks, but alternating varieties of incense. Or you could have scented wood chips placed at different points along the path, and this would change the scent or have punctuated moments of scent uh, that would be part of the um, olfactory experience of being in the vicinity of one of these clocks so Mm. that you could you could essentially know what the hour is, know where you are in the journey through night based on the scent of the air. That's really interesting. So you wouldn't have to go look at it and check. Instead, there would be a an ambient difference, just like there is in the daytime. You can roughly tell what time of day it is by you know the position of the sun, what the sky feels like, and the light and all that. Uh, but this would allow you to do the same thing at night, except through your sense of smell. You just kind of have a vibe that it's eh, it's roughly you know four to five a.m. It's it's fascinating because we have you know we're such visual creatures. We're certainly more visual than. Uh, uh, than, than smell base, but uh, and especially today, like if you want to know what hour of the night it is when you wake up in the night, of course we reach for our various timekeeping devices and find out. Uh, but yeah, you know, but there's this 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 other approach of simply sort of observing the world. And granted, a lot of that observation would be visual, uh, mm. but uh, but this is tying into an, a far more or far less visual route. Though of course you could, I guess, just look at the incense clock as well and see where you are in the journey. Right. Soth also references a dragon-shaped fire clock. 
uh, that also involved the use of incense. And this is a, a, a different design. It would look like a dragon. It would be kind of long, and it would have a, like a trough of incense running through the center. And as this burned down, again, kind of kind of like the snaking coals that you uh, described. You know, it's going to start on one end and burn towards the other, almost like a fuse, uh, mm-hmm. but slow, like a slow fuse of incense. Uh, but along the way, there are going to be these little threads with metal balls uh, hanging. And so it will, at regular intervals, burn through those, those, those little bits of thread and make a ball drop into a metal pan, producing a sound, and that will mark the passing of the hours. Huh. Okay. But I like all of this, too, because it, it also brings to mind this idea of, like, the night is, it's, like, it's, it's something to keep vigil through, you know? You need this sort mm-hmm. of sacred timekeeping in place to get you from, uh, from dusk to dawn. Yeah. So I found all that just super interesting. I was not familiar with, with incense clocks, and I don't think I'd really given much thought to combustion-based timekeeping as well, aside from just sort of the, the obvious environmental factors. And I guess this was probably something as well. I mean, you go back into, into really ancient prehistoric practices. You had the, the campfire uh, burning, mm-hmm. and maybe you keep that burning all night. Maybe it's a situation where it's kept burning um, um, for much longer. But uh, there is that reality of the campfire burning down as time passes, after you've stopped feeding the fire, uh, and then by morning it's reduced to, to, to nothing or very little at all. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, it looks like our incense for this episode has burnt all the way through. So we're going to have to uh, call it here. But we'll be back on Thursday with another episode uh, dealing with incense. Uh, some of the, the, the technology involved historically with incense and also other practices uh, pertaining to incense. So be sure to check out part two. Uh, I think it'll be a fun ride. Those are our core episodes, Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesday, we do a short form artifact or monster fact. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.